from the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Thank you, Mark Wolf. Welcome to Starting Strength Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is the first installment of our, what is supposed to be a weekly podcast that we're going to do. And uh, we are glad you're with us today. Uh, so I guess the first order of business is, what the hell are we doing the podcast for? Uh, uh, and, and why is there not a skull on this wall? Do you have any explanation for that, Nick? You're the producer of this goddamn thing. What are you? Uh, got one on the way. Skulls on the way. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I just I want a skull behind me. Skulls are death, right? And death's not good. So uh, death's not badass. Death is bad. Had two or three friends die recently, and I'm kind of tired of that shit. So we're not going to do any skulls now that I think about it. Uh, but the podcast is for uh, podcast is for basically our entertainment and hopefully yours. Uh, we've been doing the Ask Rip thing for quite a while now, and uh, what we do on Ask Rip is completely different than what we're going to do here. Ask Rip is where you send in your inane questions on Facebook and and uh, Twitter and where else do we take those? Have we got a Slack channel or something for? No. Uh, what YouTube? No, we don't do YouTube. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, that would be like in YouTube comments. YouTube comments are, I'm convinced, are all written by people in prison. Because it's obviously, if if you are commenting on YouTube videos, you are in the bottom three percent of society, and uh, <clears throat> you're. You know, I mean, your friends already have questions about your intelligence. And you may not know that because you're dumb. <laughs> but that's what happens every time you put a comment on, on, on a YouTube thing. We'll have, we put our videos up on YouTube and somebody always, no, never fails. We put a, com, a, a video up on YouTube and some jackass comes in and says, how am I supposed to beat off to this video? And... And I think they're serious. I don't think they're trolling. I think they're being totally dead-ass serious. Now, stop that, Rusty. If, that's, if that is, in fact, you. But. So anyway, the, the podcast is, uh, this is designed to be a weekly feature of our situation. And uh, so you can expect more. And we're actually, actually soliciting serious uh, comment from you about this. We would like for you to give us some ideas that you might have for topics, and we're going to discuss two or three different topics today at length. We're not going to we're not going to do ask rip questions where you write in nonsense, but we're we're going to talk about three or four different things today, two or three different things, however many we have time for, and we're going to discuss them at length in detail, and uh, uh, so it'll be a completely different format from the ask rip things, but we'd still like to have your feedback, and if you'd like to see something discussed or featured or an interview suggestion or somebody we could talk to, uh, then uh, 
please communicate with us through the aforementioned social media accounts and uh, let us know uh, what it is you'd like to, to see done, okay? So, <clears throat> first up today is uh, starting strength news. We, we've recently uh, have undertaken several different new uh, expansion directions for the brand, and uh, uh, everything is moving along quite well, and I wanted to give you a report on that today. Uh, first off, starting strength gyms, the franchise gyms, are uh, uh, in process right now. The first one is open. Starting strength Austin is open right now. It's open for business. You can join starting strength Austin. If you're in Austin, you should investigate this. It's up kind of north, up toward 183, just off of Lamar. Uh, the the gym is is beautiful. It is. Uh, uh, equipped with starting strength equipment. Our trade dress is on the way. We are uh, moving right along toward uh, uh, the absolute completion of the, of the gym project. It is staffed by starting strength coaches. And uh, Joyce Luke is the owner, and uh, they uh, would welcome your participation. Get a hold of them through our website. Or drop by, look it up, drop by. Uh, really, we'd rather you sign up online because that's the way the thing's designed to work. Starter Strength Gems are going to be different in, in that. Uh, there will be absolutely no sales that take place on the property. Uh, sales will take place online. The gym is a place to train, not, not a place to sell you something. Not a place to try to talk you into buying something. Not a place to listen to you tell us that it's too expensive or too cheap or you don't like the color or something like that. We're there to train. We're there for the barbells. We're there for the coaching. We're there for the PRs. We're there for you to get stronger. And that's all we're going to do in the gym. Uh, when you walk into a starting strength gym, you'll sign in all of the, the uh, business is dealt with on the Internet and uh, we are going to keep track of your workouts. Uh, that's another one of the interesting things about starting strength gyms is that we track all of our participants' information in terms of their workouts so that here in about two years, we're going to have an enormous, very useful data set that will show you precisely how the starting strength model starting where we are today and then adding five pounds of workout uh, takes you in a, in a relatively short period of time. In two years, we will have accumulated quite a, quite a large data set that's going to be very useful to us in terms of showing you why you need to join our program here, and it'll be useful to you in helping you make a decision about the best way to spend your time and money in a gym. If getting stronger, if you understand that getting stronger is the best thing you can do with your time in a gym, then you'll soon understand that ours is the best method to do that. And we will have, we, we already have the data, and you already know that what we do works. But this will be a hard data set, and it will allow us to market our successful product in a way that's never been done before. So... Starting Strength Austin is open right now. Uh, 
and uh, Dallas, the Dallas location, which is on uh, Greenville Avenue, just south of Carruth Haven, should be open on July 1st. Uh, Brent Carter, our staff coach, Brent Carter, is in charge of that program, and uh, he's already got 15 or 20 memberships sold, and they've done absolutely no formal marketing with it at all. That thing is going to explode here pretty soon. Uh, within, in fact, within a three-mile radius. Now, you guys tell me if I've got this data right. Three-mile radius of that of that. Uh, location we've plotted it out to do this there are 70,000 website users within three miles of that location it's going to sell fast and if you want to get in on this thing you need to go ahead and sign up because people sign up online and they sign up for a workout slot time workout slot and the popular ones the six o'clock right after work are going to go quickly there's a finite number of opportunities available for you to train at six o'clock in a starting strength gym and the ones that get there first are the ones that are going to get that slot and uh houston uh, i'm told today that a lease has been signed on that is that that is what he said right we've signed a lease yeah, two weeks ago, I think. Two, the lease has been signed and so we are in process in houston uh it's inside the inner beltway it's uh, going to be a popular location Houston's another big market for starting strength. And the starting strength Houston location is going to be staffed by Josh and Shelly Wells. You all know them from the boards. Uh, they're from Wichita Falls. And they are uh, exceptionally talented coaches of both the starting strength method and Olympic weightlifting. And Chase Lindley, our own vanilla gorilla, the blonde ape. The, the human vice. The... Uh, the gigantomongous strength master, Chase Lindley, is going to be on staff down in Houston as well. It ought to be quite an entertaining place to train. And uh, that thing is going to explode once the, once the sales link goes hot on that too, so keep all that in mind. Uh, Boston is in the fall. Denver is in process. And uh, we're looking at other locations across the country right now, and we'll announce those as, as they become firm. And we'll talk to you guys about it on this podcast. And in the meantime, you can go to startingstrengthgyms.com for any questions or news. If you want to request a gym site in your area, you can do it there. If you're interested yourself in being a franchise owner, you can inquire about information on that as well at startingstrengthgyms.com. Now, an interesting thing happened a couple of weeks ago. This is our Japanese translation of the book. It was, it was out a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I'm sure our friends in Japan will correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the initial print run was a thousand copies. It sold out in three days. This was completely unexpected by everybody. Apparently there's a larger demand overseas than we had earlier anticipated, and this, uh, this is really good news. They're getting another print run together right now that should be available possibly by the time this uh, podcast airs. 
on Friday, and uh, uh, you guys that are in uh, the other markets overseas where we have translations need to be aware of the fact that the brand is growing over there too. Right now we have a Korean translation of both starting strength and practical programming. We have complex Chinese, uh, which is the version in Taiwan, and the former colonies that is that is still the language of use in those locations. We have simplified Chinese in both uh, starting strength and practical programming. We've got a Polish translation. Uh, German was the second translation. Sales in Germany are quite good for both starting strength and practical programming. And uh, we've got one of our own people working on a Spanish translation of the Blue Book right now. I don't know when that's scheduled. You talk to Harry about that? When's he? No idea. You think he's actually doing it? Okay. Or, text yeah, text him and ask him. And we'll just report. Harry, are you really doing this or not? I told us he was. Mexican representative, our man in Mexico, Harry Fafutis, who's actually Greek, by the way. Although he doesn't, I don't think he even speaks Greek, does he? He doesn't? What's well, a parenting problem? Huh. Okay. His dad doesn't speak Greek either. He's forgotten all these Greek. Oh, God. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, Spanish is being dealt with right now. In fact, you've read his Spanish translations on the website of some of our articles. We've got, in fact, we have an article up on Monday, uh, a Spanish translation of uh, one of our important articles that, that was up just three or four days ago, right? No, Monday and was the squat. Was the squat? The squat video. video. It was a video in Spanish. I'm so confused. I can't keep all the shit straight. All I remember, something Spanish happened on Monday, right? It might have been tacos or something, for, for all I know, you know. All right, so anyway, that's all, that's all being taken care of, and uh, we're happy about the Japanese situation. Uh, audio books. Uh, now, we've uh, already got out uh, Strong Enough, which is, uh, was our first audio book, and that thing... Uh, it didn't take but like a month for that to exceed paper book sales on that particular text. All right, and audio books in, uh, for strong enough have continued to smack right along real nicely. I just got through recording both Starting Strength Basic Barbell Training 3rd Edition and Practical Programming for Strength Training 3rd Edition for audiobooks. I just finished that last week. Both of those will be available very soon. I'm the one reading it, so if you enjoy my my wonderful Texas accent, where everyone in the world thinks I pronounce the word F-I-V-E as fav, because they all spell it F-A-H-V-E. Isn't that the way it's popularly construed in the in the on the internet? As I always say, fav. Well, I don't say fav in the reading of the book, so if you're buying it for that, don't. I pronounce it correctly. I say five. But I also pronounce the word W-H-A-T correctly, which is correctly pronounced what? 
not what. You know, every, that's one of the reasons I don't go to Brooklyn anymore. You know, is I always got so much shit up there about, Ripito, why do you put an H before the W in, in when you pronounce the word W-H-A-T? And my answer to that is because that's the fucking way the word's pronounced. It's what. It's not what or what. It's what. 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 Slight, you know, breath before the W sound. What. Right? That's the way I was taught. I've never, you know, had an authoritative correction. For, just guys in Brooklyn don't like the way it's pronounced. That's not authoritative. So I'm going to say it. What. So I say that correctly in the book, and, uh, uh, you know, if you don't like that, don't buy the book, all right? But that ought to be out. Got any word on when he's going to have the blue book ready? He's turning on that first. Uh, Trent, our friend in Fort Worth, is doing, is, uh, is preparing that for us, and it should be available in a couple of weeks from today. So uh, look online. I'll announce it on the on the Q&A, it'll be announced on the website. We'll probably have some kind of a, let's do an excerpt, audio excerpt for that for one of the days, for one of the posts during the week. Those of you that are familiar with our website know that we put up new content at noon every day. And uh, sometimes we're late on Sunday. But, uh, you know, Steph has to have a day off every once in a while. So things go up late on Sunday. But other than that, our... Our goal is noon every day, new content on startingstrength.com, and we'll, we'll feature a, a, a verbal excerpt, an audio excerpt from one of the books on, uh, on uh, the announcement date that the thing is ready so you can see how we did it. And have a little free sample of the thing. And those things, what's the price of those going to be, do you think, Nine ninety-five. I don't know what they cost. I have no idea what they what a, an audio book costs. Thirty-eight ninety-five, fifteen, fifteen to thirty bucks. It's based on length, so it won't be nine ninety-five. Cut that out. Edit that out. The nine ninety-five part. It won't be nine ninety-five. It won't be nine ninety-five. I'm told it will not be nine ninety-five because that'd be dumb, right? Strong enough, fifteen. So the blue book will be twenty, twenty-five, something like that. Are they typically about the same price as a as the print version? Is that typically? They're more, the audio book is more than yeah, the print like version, the right? The, the audio book might be is that right? Shocked face. <laughs> I, you know why I don't know that? Because I don't listen to audio books. I don't have any audio books. Uh, you think it'll be out on DVD? Well, you gave me that one on DVD about the nuclear program. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was cool. Yeah. And I could listen to that in the car, just put it in the DVD player in the car. Cars still have DVD players, That's right? That's actually a CD. You CD. I mean, yeah, CD. Did I say DVD? Mm-hmm. All right, edit that out, too. <laughs> it's supposed to be CD. I meant CD. All right? They look the same, though, you know. You see exactly what, see my problem? They're just, they look the same. Mexican on Monday, something, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, audiobooks coming out soon. Uh, oh, I want to want to plug the, the weightlifting boot, all right, for our friend James McHugh up in Spokane. 
Uh, first, let me show you something. See these little jewels? Those are my new White's boots. I've got three pair now of White's boots. I've been wearing White's boots for about 10 years now. It's all I wear because I'm wealthy and I can afford the best. And I wear White's boots. I've got three pair of White's boots. These are my new ones. Uh, White's boots, those of you that are uh, in the know, uh, understand that White's boots are a very, very high quality, basically handmade boot. Uh, they are uh, a lifetime purchase for the vast majority of people. Hell, smoke jumpers wear them for 10 years before they replace them. I mean, if you've been, if you guys have been paying $225 once every two years for a pair of Red Wings, you're fools, man. You're wasting money. You know, a, a pair of White's boots will last you 15, 20 years. And you've saved money by spending a little more up front, as is so often the case, right? Uh, White's boots is making the starting strength weightlifting boot. This will be a low quarter weightlifting shoe with a leather stack heel. The net height of the heel will be 5 eighths. As per my design, the correctly positioned metatarsal strap is Velcro. This is an all-leather, sewn-down vamp weightlifting boot. I call it a boot because boot is the old term that was used 50 years ago for the footwear you used when you lifted weights. And uh, in contrast to the old-style weightlifting boot, this has a flat sole. It does not have a raised heel with a gap between the thing because we now understand that we one of the functions of a weightlifting boot is support of the arch. So the arch will be supported both internally because it's made by whites and by externally by this metatarsal strap. These will be very, very high quality, high quality shoes. And they probably are not going to be your first weightlifting shoe because you're not going to want to spend this much for it. Uh, but they will definitely be the last pair you ever buy because you will not wear these out. They will never wear out. They can be resold and rebuilt as everything White's Boots makes can be. This will be a very high-quality product. Uh, I don't know what the final price will be yet, but it's going to be somewhere between $3.99 and, and probably $4.49, or somewhere in there. And I, that don't hold me to that. That may not be correct either. But they're going to be about twice the money that you would spend on a on a cheap pair of Adidas or Nikes or any of these other brands that are designed to be worn for two years and, and replaced. Uh, I, this is probably, of all of our products that we have designed and, and, and licensed over the past couple of years, this is, the, this is the one I'm most excited about because my shoes are wearing out and I desperately need a new pair. So I'm looking forward to these. And once again, watch on the website. We'll announce when they get here. And uh, we will uh, keep you apprised of the price as we get it and availability. This thing's going to be cool. Trust me. Also need to tell you about the Starting Strength Coach Prep Course. Starting Strength Coach Prep Course is accessible on the website under the Careers tab. Now, this is a course designed for people who want to be Starting strength coaches, professional starting strength coaches. It's designed to get you through the process in a structured way. 
It's also designed for people who have access to in-person clients to coach. This is not a video-based course. And uh, if you do not have clients that you're training in person, this course is not designed for you. Uh, this thing is uh, a quite intensive five-month process. There's been video content and that's just designed specifically for this course that you will receive as part of your instruction. Uh, there are writing assignments, coaching assignments, and several other things that make this a very, very complete preparation for uh, a person who is already in the coaching, the strength coaching business to get through the starting strength seminar evaluation process more quickly and more thoroughly. So if you're interested in this, and this is something that you feel capable of doing, go to the careers tab on the website at startingstrength.com and get all the details on the Starting Strength Coach Prep Course. Seminars coming up. This weekend, in fact, we'll be in Westminster. In fact, when you see this, we'll be in Westminster, Maryland, doing a, uh, a seminar at uh, our friend, Bo, Prince Bo and Angie Bryant's gym there in, uh, uh, in Westminster, Maryland. It's in Frederick County, and uh, it's out west of Baltimore, northwest of Baltimore. And... Uh, we always like going there. Bo and Angie are good people. They've developed a, a tremendous little gym there teaching the starting strength method to lots and lots of people. They're probably one of the best in the country in terms of outreach to their community, in terms of involving uh, the people in their area and the starting strength method. And uh, we go out there once a year, and it's, uh, it's a great place. And if you are seeing this, it's probably too late for you to get in a car and drive over, but nonetheless, I feel compelled to tell you what that's where we'll be this weekend while you're, uh, in fact, watching this podcast. Uh, but you have an opportunity on May the 17th, 18th, and 19th to join us in Denver at Cutthroat, Cutthroat CrossFit in Lafayette for our Starting Strength Seminar in Denver. Uh, this is probably closer to the Midwest than we'll be anytime soon. Uh, I want to take advantage of that opportunity. On June 7th, 8th, and 9th, we're back in Wichita Falls at Wichita Falls Athletic Club for our uh, four times a year seminar there. And uh, we go back out to the East Coast on July 26th, 27th, 28th. We'll be at Enoch Copple's Woodmere Fitness Club on Long Island. And uh, that's far enough in advance to where you can make your plans for that right now. Uh, so those are our upcoming books, uh, upcoming seminar dates. And uh, for those of you that have never been to a seminar, it's a 25-contact-hour exposure to the, uh, to the guts of the Starting Strength program. You'll do better at the seminar if you've already read the books, and uh, you'll get a lot more out of it than if you just wander in and have uh, this as your first exposure to the method. Uh, but there's nothing else like it in the fitness industry. It is the place where we evaluate people who would like to be starting strength coaches for their competence on the platform. Everybody does the lifts. Everybody coaches the lifts. Even those of you that are not interested in being coaches are going to coach the lifts. 
because you get more out of the process of learning the stuff if you have to teach the stuff at the same time. And those of you who are teachers know exactly what I'm talking about. So we've always done it that way, and it works very well. And uh, if you'd like to brush up on the lifts or if just for your own training or if you are interested in becoming a starting strength coach, these are the places to go do that. So keep all that in mind. Okay, now we're going to uh, we're going to kind of dive into the into the discussion we had planned for today. We're going to talk about transgender people in sports. Yeah, we're going to talk about. It. I know that this is astonishing to a lot of people, but this this must be discussed, and we're going to discuss it in a in a little bit different way than it's been discussed in the in the mainstream media recently. Um, first, let's let's uh, let's define our terms so that we can get all of this uh, all of this correct. Transgender people are people who identify as um, a gender different from that gender normally associated with their physical sex at birth. Is that a reasonable definition, you think? I don't think that is controversial in terms of a definition. Uh, the interesting definitions begin with what is a trans woman. A trans woman is a male to female gender reassignment. And a trans man is a female to male gender reassignment. And this is uh, an interesting way of manipulating the language here. Uh, but that's gender reassignment surgery means gender reassignment surgery. Now, a gender reassignment could be something that a person has done to themselves psychologically. And let me, I'm going to operate from the, from the standpoint here of the, of the following definitions. Gender is a psychological construct, and physical sex is the biology. Now, you may disagree with that, and that's fine, but those are the, those are the way I'm going to be using the terms today. Uh, gender is the psychology. How you identify is psychological. Okay? And uh, the interesting thing about this is the way the media has portrayed this, this controversy, and it's, very, it, it's a very hot topic recently, and I've... We thought long and hard about even dealing with this because this is going to piss so many people off so bad. And some people have already stopped listening. I understand that, and that's probably for the best. But for those of you that are still with us, uh, we want to talk about this from a little bit different perspective. Now, let me show you something. I've drawn a little graph here. How's that look in the shot? Is that all right? I want you to notice that men and women lie along a continuum of physical performance. All right, there are roughly two bell curves. Now the bell curves represent the normal distribution of uh, athletic performance in both men and women. Note that there is a peak in the middle of the bell curve. This is where Average occurs where the majority 
of the data lies. And they're at the kurtotic tails of the curve. There are outliers, some people who do very badly, some people who are elite athletes. The elite athletes are on the right-hand side of the graph. I'm right-left dyslexic. I'm real bad about that, so I wanted to make sure of that. So the elite people are on the right, and the wombats are on the left, all right? The physical idiots. We all know who we are. Those of us who are physical idiots are not afraid to admit that. And those of us who are physical geniuses, natural athletes, also know who we are. The vast majority of us are in the middle at the top of the bell, somewhere along the top of the bell and on the sides of the bell. And I want you to notice the overlap between the two. All right? Now, this representation on this graph is the fact. These are the facts, okay? And furthermore, you all know that these are the facts, all right? Women on general, in general, do not perform at the level of men athletically in terms of speed, strength, or any other type of, of measurement. But in the middle, there is some overlap. Some gifted females are better than some ungifted, untalented males, thus the overlap. We are not pretending that this overlap does not exist. So that would, if you're going to construe that that's the case, that's a straw man that I'm not interested in talking about because that's not what we're saying is, is the actual case, okay? In fact, there are uh, a couple of instances in the literature where uh, well, let's 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 don't get into that until we until we get finished with some of the other facts here. Uh, here's another fact: testosterone appears in the fetus at eight weeks along. Okay, I mentioned this right up front because I want to to get out of the way one of the one of the straw man arguments that is that is the predominant argument in the media in this situation. Uh, what, is, what is said over and over and over and over and over again until it, it's just nauseating in its repetitive ignorance of the situation is that current levels of testosterone in the body are responsible for current performance levels. This is a, this is a factual incorrect statement. There are two effects that testosterone has on the human body. Uh, the first effect is that which occurs in utero. At eight weeks post-conception, testosterone begins to be secreted. And testosterone secreted in utero has extremely, extremely profound effects on the resulting phenotype after birth. And I think you all know that there are differences, profound differences that result in, uh, that result from the, the concentrations of, of testosterone in the fetus. For example, a little boy, when he's born, 
having been exposed to very high levels of testosterone in utero, comes out with a little boy, TT. A little girl who's been exposed to very, very low levels of testosterone in utero comes out with a little girl's TT. And we're all aware of the fact that boys' and girls' TTs are different. This is how profound the effects of in utero testosterone are. And it is a gigantic, serious mistake, although it's a very popular mistake to make these days, where we say that the differences in male and female performance are strictly a function of testosterone that is available right now, today, acute levels of testosterone in the body. Things are changed by in utero testosterone that are far more profound than just the TT, okay? Uh, Dr. Deborah So has done a lot of very good work dealing with this, with this issue from the, from the standpoint of psychology, brain development, neuro, neuroscience. And what I'm going to tell you today is that the changes don't stop there. There are neuromuscular efficiency changes that are the result of the in utero exposure to the fetus to testosterone. And these things are responsible for uh, essentially all of the prepubescent differences between little boys and little girls. Now, if you have little boys and little girls, and you've got, you've got daughters and sons, you as parents are aware of the physical differences between these kids. When they're three, when they're two sometimes, they're different little creatures. And they have not gone into puberty, and they do not have elevated levels of hormones, sexual hormones in their bodies. Nonetheless, the sex hormones that were present in utero have produced profound changes in these kids. Those of you ladies that grew up with a bunch of brothers know this already, don't you? You know this to be true. Those of you parents with athletic little boys and athletic little girls know that there are differences between even athletic little boys and athletic little girls. Uh, but what's also interesting is, is those of you with just boys know that there are differences between the boys that are evident when they were kids, when they're little kids, prepubescent kids. One of them is more explosive than the other. One of them's quicker. One of them's more agile. One of them plays harder. One of them hits harder than the other. All right? These differences are attributable to the changes that are produced in utero by sex hormones and by, specifically by the presence of testosterone. And uh, there are, of course, outliers. It's important to understand that we are not talking today about intersex people. Now, people that didn't make it this far into the discussion have already turned this off and have said that, well, Ripito's talking about, he's ignoring the, the, the presence of uh, uh, people in sports that are born between sexes. And this does occur. It's not very common, but it does occur. 
or chromosomal tests for this and in indisputable uh, variations in the predominance of secondary sexual characteristics between some people. But we're not talking about those people. We're talking about people who are born male who decide to identify as female later on in their life. If you are born male, you are born with a more efficient neuromuscular situation, more efficient neuromuscular efficiency, more efficient neuromuscular recruitment, more efficient use of your muscles than you are if you're born female. This is not my fault. This is just an observation of the facts. It's borne out by all of the phenomenology, okay? Uh, first off, we like to discuss is standing vertical jump test numbers. Now, the standing vertical jump is an interesting test that is pretty much a direct measurement of the genetic endowment for neuromuscular efficiency. What the standing vertical jump measures is the difference in the height of the upraised hand, one upraised hand when standing flat-footed on the ground, and the height that that upraised hand is carried to at the top of a flat-footed jump with no step. The standing vertical jump is performed by reaching down to the bottom of, of the of the range of motion that is, represents the most efficient stretch reflex for the hips and legs, and leaving the ground and measuring the distance between the top of the hand at the, at the, at the, the difference between the top of the hand uh, from the standing position to the position in which the jump carried you up in the air. In other words, it is a, it is a direct measurement of your ability to accelerate your body's mass off the ground. Your body's mass off the ground. Which occurred on the concentric portion, during the concentric portion of the upward part of the jump. A counter-movement jump lasts a half second. And the last half of that movement pattern is the concentric part that extends the knees and the hips. And the force expended during that concentric movement upward is the, is the part of the, of the movement that takes place in about a quarter of a second, during which all of the force production machinery that you can uh, recruit into contraction is recruited into contraction. And the distance it carries your body's mass up in the air is a direct measurement of the efficiency with which you were able to contract your muscles in a very short period of time. This is a direct measurement of explosion. And this is why the NFL includes the standing vertical jump test in its combined battery of tests. They want to know who they're hiring. They want to know the, the genetic endowment for rapid, efficient, neuromuscular recruitment of motor units into contraction that they're hiring. They don't hire people with a 22-inch standing vertical jump. They hire people with a 36-inch standing vertical jump. Now, there are exceptions to this in terms of field position, but the vast majority of professional football players have got very good vertical jumps, which means they're over 32. The average standing vertical jump for a male 
and by average, I mean young men in college who were tested for this sort of thing, not old guys like me, but young men in college, is 22 inches. That's the average. In contrast, the average female standing vertical jump is 14 inches. Now, we use the standing vertical jump test because the standing vertical jump test is not really trainable. It's very simple. There's not any technique to learn. You just reach down and jump up. It can't be gamed. It can't be improved much without quite a bit of strength training. But the most important thing about this is, is that even the best strength training program in the world will only improve a standing vertical jump test 20-25% at most. And it's far more common to see improvements of 10 to 15%. In other words, this thing is not trainable. This thing called neuromuscular efficiency is not trainable to any significant degree. To the extent it is trainable, it is improved by the increase in force production that is provided by an effective strength program. But the difference between the average men's 22-inch standing vertical jump and the average women's 14-inch standing vertical jump is an extremely important piece of data. Now, if you look at the records, the outstanding records for this thing, the men's record for standing vertical jump was set in a combine, in an NFL combine back, I believe, in two in 2015, it's been a while since we looked this up, but I think it was back in 2015, guy jumped a 46-inch vertical on a Vertec. I mean, a real, actual, no shit, 46-inch standing vertical jump, which is insane, but he did it. The only women's record that I've been able to locate was a 29-and-a-half performed by a, a female thrower, I believe, or a sprinter. I can't remember her, her actual sport, but it was at OSU. And that's been about 15 years ago. 29 and a half. Now let's look at these numbers. 29 and a half, the women's record, exceeds the men's average by quite a bit, doesn't it? By seven and a half inches. Okay. But if you look at her 29 and a half and you compare that to his 46, what you see is roughly the same percentage between average and record that in both sexes. Okay? This is explained almost entirely by the in utero changes that are produced by testosterone before birth. In other words, if we give a female anabolic steroids and testosterone, it doesn't appreciably affect her standing vertical jump at all. All right, now keep that in mind as we go through the nonsense that we are hearing in the media these days about this sort of thing, okay? And, and furthermore, before I, before I leave this topic, I'd like, to, I'd like to point out that the fact that there are differences in the way men and women can recruit motor units based on this data that I, that I presented to you uh, indicates that there are profound differences in the way that 
women respond to physical stress and the way women adapt to physical stress. Now, this is something I know something about. I've trained women for decades. And if you don't understand as a trainer that women and men respond differently to weight training stimuli, then you're not an effective coach. I am an effective coach, and I know this, and we handle them differently because we have to. Politics aside, we have to, okay? Now, let me, I've, I've prepared some little copier things here for you today, and I want to start with uh, an article here uh, that we pulled off of NPR. It ran in December uh, about Patricio Manuel, uh, who is the first openly transgender man, which means a female to male transgendered person, to box professionally in the U.S. Uh, Patricio won the bout with the male opponent in the men's division. And this is notable because this is the only instance I have been able to find of a transgender male, transgender, trans man, a female to male gender transition competing in the men's division. This is a super welterweight boxer. And, and uh, Patricio did, in fact, uh, win this match. And uh, it is, uh, it's interesting to me that that's the only one of these I could find. Far more common, far more common, infinitely more common, are some of the following data points. The U.S. Olympic women's hockey team it, in, back in 2014 was preparing for the Sochi Olympics by competing with boys, with boys teams. Uh, this is uh, an article from uh, January 12, 2014, and uh, one of the one of the girls on the team said, "It's very physical. The guys are very fast. It's a good way to see what we're going to play in Sochi." This is a teenage boys team they're practicing against. Okay, this is important. They know something, don't they? They know something. Let's go back in history to tennis, to some tennis matches. And I think most of you will remember some of these things. Uh, uh, this is an article about four tennis matches from Marca.com, uh, first of which was the uh, first match between Bobby Riggs and uh, Margaret Court when 55-year-old Bobby Riggs overcame Margaret Court, a much younger athlete, in straight sets in 1973. This made the news back then. It was a big deal. Uh, Bobby got 
kind of full of himself and uh, challenged Billie Jean King, who's one of the best women's tennis players to ever live, to a, a big exhibition, a, t a match. Everybody got a million dollars for the for the deal. This was a great big deal back in 19 and uh, 1970. Uh, when the hell was the date on this? Uh, Riggs versus King. Oh, they omit the date. I don't remember the actual date. It's also in the 70s because Bobby Riggs was still full of himself. Now, Billy Jean beat him in that, in that match. Okay. Billy Jean beat him in the match. Bobby Riggs was not a pro. He was a loudmouth and a funny guy, but he got his ass handed to him by Billie Jean King, okay? More recently than that, back in 1993, Jimmy Connors played Martina Navratilova in a similar exhibition match. Okay, this, is a, this was interesting. This was interesting because the game was played under, to quote from the article, hybrid rules as Connors was permitted only one serve for each point, and his opponent, Martina, was allowed to play the ball into half of the doubles court. Okay, so they changed the rules a little bit because I wonder why they did that, because they knew what was going to happen. And in fact, what happened was Connors beat her 7-5 in the first set and then 6-2 in the second set to win the match. Both of them got a million bucks. Cool. I always liked Martina. Martina's hot. And I, I just was, I was always a big fan of her. And uh, this, was a good, this was a good match. And Martina's a great tennis player. And uh, she's, she is, was just a groundbreaker in several aspects of, of her career and in, in, in social issues after she got through. Uh, even more recently, um, in 1998, uh, Serena Williams uh, played a German tennis player, Karsten Brosch. He was ranked 203rd in the world. And I don't know what possessed her to do this, but... Uh, she claimed, apparently, she made a claim that after Serena and Venus claimed that no, ma no male player outside the top 200 could beat them. The 203rd ranked player in the world beat her 6-1 and Serena and then 6-2 Venus. Immediately. After. One guy played two people, same day, beat them both. And this is significant. It's significant because she made this very interesting statement. Serena said, I didn't know it would be that difficult. I played shots that would have been winners on the women's circuit, and he got to them very easily. Okay? Now, those of you that have been paying attention to this or un understand that the, there have been several instances of uh, women's World Cup soccer teams playing high school boys and getting beat. 
Okay. Here's one in Sweden. Uh, the women's national Swedish team uh, played a boys team. And uh, these are under 17-year-old boys. Within 30 minutes, the boys had plucked one goal from the women, reading from the article now, despite Sundhaga asking the coach, asking uh, the boys' team to take out one of its defenders and play with only 10 players on the field, which they did. They took one of the players, one of the defensemen, off of the field. They still got beat. They, uh, uh, one of the, uh, one of the girls said, I wasn't told about that until after the game. She didn't count the, the boys on the field at the, during the game. They, they got beat 3-0. The, the boys beat them 3-0. This is the women's national team. Uh, the U.S. women's team in the United States here, played in 2015, winners of the, they were the World Cup uh, champions in 2015, winners of multiple gold medals, played the MLS Academy squad in Dallas, an under-15 team, and uh, uh, were beaten uh, by three goals, and the famous case in Australia just recently, Australian women's national team, the Matildas, lost 7-0 to an under-15 boys squad in Australia. Regardless of whether they won or lost, though, the right. national team went and played with high school kids. Yes. Why? Right? I mean, right. It doesn't, yes. matter. it doesn't matter that they, lo that they it, lost. It, it really doesn't. What matters is that they decided to do this. It matters that they decided to play a boys team under 15. The women's national team decided that that was a reasonable thing to go do. They know, don't they? They know, all right? But, <laughs> and, it, you know, I, look, I don't want this thing to come off as me yelling and screaming at transgender people or women or men or anybody else. What I am irritated about to the point of distraction is the fact that the media and politicians, these catfish bottom feeders, are taking this situation and twisting it for political purposes. That's what pisses me off, all right? Because, once again, ladies and gentlemen, you know as well as I do, that men and women have different physical capacities. You know as well as I do that that is the case. And this stuff right here that I'm about to show you is a lie agreed upon. Uh, those of you that are Deadwood fans recognize that, recognize that as the title of the, third the fourth episode of the series. It applies here. A lie agreed upon. Listen to this. Here's a piece from the Washington Post. All right. This ran on August the 8th, 2016. Uh, the IOC 
has decided that testosterone levels at the time of competition are the only critical factor here. Uh, in Rio, quoting now, transgender men, female to male athletes, will be allowed to compete without any restrictions based on the sexist, the sexist assumption, I suppose, that trans men could never dominate their sports. Trans women, meanwhile, this is male to female, are no longer required to undergo gender reassignment surgery to compete in female divisions, and the previously mandated two-year wait after transitioning has been jettisoned, and it's irrelevant for reasons we've already discussed. To compete, a trans woman is, is required only to declare her gender as female and have testosterone levels comparable to or below those of cisgendered women. Cisgender refers to folks whose biological sex matches their gender identity, which is the opposite of transgender. This is the IOC, and people in the media will point to the, uh, how should we say it, the uh, moral authority of the International Olympic Committee to make a ruling like this. You've heard of organizations being wrong before, haven't you? That happens. I think you could find a couple of instances of that taking place without having to think too terribly hard about it. Now, can you? If you don't think the IOC is subject to politics, you're very young. Okay? Here is an, here's an interesting piece from The Nation titled Transphobia's New Target is the World of Sports by one Dave Zirin. There's another argument against allowing trans athletes to compete with cisgender athletes that suggests that their, that their present hurts cis women and cis girls. Now by hurt, do you mean injured? Like what happened to the girl that fought Fallon Fox? in the UFC, that kind of hurt. But this line of thought doesn't acknowledge that trans women are in fact women. That is italicized in the piece. They are in fact women. Once again, I'm not concerned with gender. I'm concerned with physical sex. Gender is none of my business. Absolutely none of my business. Pronouns are none of my business. Physical sex directly affects the way we train and perform as women or men. And that's all there is to it. And all the saying it's not true doesn't make it true. It is a lie agreed upon. Don't agree with it anymore. Okay, please? The fundamental argument of the Daily Caller and its ilk erases this reality with the ugliest, in the ugliest possible fashion. Uh, sport is one of the worst domains for institutionalized discrimination against trans people. Current con conversations around fairness in sport center on women's sports only and are often steeped in paternalistic language around protecting female athletes. 
This is an interesting sentence. Let's look at sports in general, and we're going to talk about more about this in a minute. There are men's and women's divisions in every sport that is played in the world. There are men's and women's billiards. Men's and women's golf, tennis, everything in the Olympics is men's and women's. This is the phenomenology. Do you seriously believe that hundreds of years of observation, the hundreds of years of observation that have led there to be women's and men's divisions are somehow wrong now because politically we're concerned about this? These conversations are damaging because the underlying assumptions are inherently sexist. That female athletes are always inferior to men's athletes, to male athletes, so we must police women's sports in order to protect women. Well, they are women's sports, right? Additionally, we continue to see an overemphasis on biology and especially hormones as the dominating factor in athleticism which we know is not the case, and I'm going to read this again because it's such preposterous nonsense. I don't understand how the typewriter actually worked here to actually type this bizarre, stupid statement. Additionally, we continue to see an overemphasis on biology, you know, the kind that results in short people and tall people and big people and small people and weak people and strong people an overemphasis on that kind of biology, and especially hormones, the kind that result in little boy TTs and little girl TTs in utero, as the dominating factor in athleticism, which we know is not the case. And when we say, which we know is not the case, you're supposed to agree with that lie, aren't you? Don't do it. Don't agree with a lie. You know it's a lie. Uh, the, see, the, the, the thing that runs through all of these things I've got here on the desk, all, the, all these things I've got here on the desk, I don't really even need to read them to you, is the complete ignorance, willful ignorance, of the fact that testosterone starts changing a human from eight weeks post-conception all through their life. And in fact, that although testosterone is an extremely powerful hormone, its greatest effects are exerted in utero, not in adults. All of the physical sexual differences that manifest themselves in an adult are, have the stage set for them in utero before the individual is born and all these people are doing are talking about current measurable testosterone levels that is a lie it's uh it's interesting to me that renee richards who was the first transgender athlete to really be in the news has uh has has said uh Uh, reading from this article, decades later, Richards would grow ambivalent about her place in women's sports, wondering herself whether she did enjoy an advantage over cisgender women. 
in 2012. She told Slate, there is one thing that a transsexual woman unfortunately cannot be expect to be allowed to do, and that is to play professional sports in her chosen field. She can get married, live as a woman, do all of these other things, and no one should ever be allowed to take them away from her. But this limitation, that's just life. I know because I lived it. And it also says those who followed in her footsteps are living a different truth. An interesting choice of terms. And drawing different conclusions. Uh... I've got I've got several other things here that I've and this is easy to find online. You can go in and research it if you want to. Uh, but we're we're beating this to death and and what I really want to what I really want to say is is about this. Okay. The upshot of this thing is that you have heard about this more in the past couple of years because now it is politically convenient. Politicians are interested in this. And any time that happens, things turn to shit quickly. And this was in the, the news last week. Uh, headline, 234 House Democrats and two Republicans co-sponsor a bill forcing schools to let male athletes compete on girls' sports teams. Every House Democrat but one has sponsored a bill, co-sponsored a bill requiring schools to allow male athletes who identify as transgender girls to compete on female sports teams. And one Sarah Warbelo, director of the left-wing human rights campaign, says she praised the bill's impact on high school sports in written testimony submitted to a House subcommittee on Tuesday. Uh, Warbelo wrote... Uh, Opponents of equality in athletics for transgender athletes have argued that girls who are transgender have an unfair physiological advantage over cisgender girls and as a result will dominate women's competitive sports. Uh, Warbelow wrote, calling it not rooted in fact, not rooted in fact, that biologically male athletes will outperform their female counterparts. Not rooted in fact. A lie being agreed upon by 234 people in the House of Representatives of the United States government. One Jerry Nadler says, Arguments about transgender athletes participating in sports in accordance with their gender identity having competitive advantages have not been borne out, Nadler said in his opening statement apparently ignorant of the fact that every organized sport in the world has men's and women's divisions for some bizarre reason. Right, Jer? Uh, this is, frankly, uh, rather nauseating. And another... One of the other things they're saying about why this is all bullshit is because... It's not going to be true that men are going to declare themselves transgender to run over to the women's division and compete and win and win a bunch of money and, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in prize money and stuff and then run back to being a male later on. They're all worried about that. We're not worried about it. They're worried about that happening. They're saying it's not going to happen. I couldn't agree more. Of course it's not going to happen. 
That's not the point. That's not the point. Here's the point. Your daughters and your wives and your sisters and your cousins and your female relatives who may decide they'd like to compete in a sport run the risk with this kind of an attitude about this of having scholarships and championships taken away from them by this politics. Okay? You don't like that, and I don't like it, and nobody likes it, except the 234, except this man right here, see? And he didn't like it either. He's just playing along. He's lying. He's agreeing with the lie. And it's, this, this has to stop at some point, or we are going to have problems with the whole idea of sports and what winning means and what competition means and what is going to eventually happen anytime we set up a competitive venue and we decide that some people can't compete with other people because it's unfair. Now, probably the, the most uh, stark examples of this are sports in, where, in which explosive power is extremely important. Olympic weightlifting, for example, is extremely important upon neuromuscular, dependent upon neuromuscular efficiency. Men are more neuromuscularly efficient than women. If women are going to be forced to compete with congenital men, they're going to lose. This has been demonstrated several times already. Maybe not every time, but the vast majority of the time. And exceptions don't make this wrong. Don't make this analysis wrong. If there is a solution to this, it is the one that, that we've come up with for the United States Strength Lifting Federation. The USSF is the federation that we've come up with to contest the squat, the press, and the deadlift. It is not powerlifting. There are numerous, extremely different sets of rules in place between strength lifting and powerlifting. We are not powerlifters. But we've come up with a contest that allows people to contest the squat, the press, and the deadlift. And the most interesting aspect of these rules is found on page one of the general rules of strength lifting. This is available at usstrengthlifting.com. .org, I'm sorry. USStrengthLifting.com. Is it dot com? Rule number six, divisions. Open. Not men's, but open. There is an open division, which consists of congenital males, transgender, non-binary, and intersex lifters. That's the open division. B, the women's division. Congenital females. C, the master's division, lifters who turn 40 years old or older during the calendar year in which the event is held, and the juniors, lifters who turn between the ages of 14 and 20 during the calendar year in which the event is held. Lifters under the age of 14 may guest lift in a USSF-sanctioned event, whether parent or garden, blah, blah. What's critical here is open 
and women's. Open is congenital males and transgender, transgendered individuals and non-binary individuals and intersex lifters. And women is restricted to congenital females. So in other words, there's an open division and a restricted division. You may enter any division that you are eligible to enter. Everyone has a competitive opportunity in the USSF. Everyone can compete in the open division. Women can compete in the open division. Anybody that wants to can compete in the open division. But only congenital females can, can compete in the women's division. This keeps things fair. This allows a competitive outlet for everyone who wants to enter a strength lifting meet. Strength meets are going to be very, very big in the future. They're coming up in popularity, and uh, people appreciate the fact that you don't ever get killed on the bench press in a strength lifting meet. So as this grows in popularity, more people are going to be exposed to the idea that divisions need to accommodate all of these, all these circumstances that we've talked about so far. And I think strength lifting is ahead of the curve on this. Give it a look. If you want women to have competitive opportunities in sports, this situation is going to have to be resolved, and it's going to need to be resolved soon before a whole bunch of people get discouraged. And I would suggest that the responsibility for solving this problem uh, lies on squarely in the lap of the people that are going to be most adversely affected by it, and that's women athletes. Uh, there is so much at stake here. And there is, is, I mean, if you consider sports to be important. And I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I'm not a sports fan, and I don't think it's that big a deal. I'm in the business of making people strong, and I'd rather make your grandmother strong than your 17-year-old daughter who's trying to get a scholarship to go to college. Uh, I'm interested in, in the practical aspects of strength training, not the, not the competitive athletics aspects of strength training. I don't really care about sports. But many of you are very, very concerned about who won the game, right? And for those of you that are concerned with women's participation in sports, you guys had better get this thing straightened out or you're going to lose it. Because your daughter might want the opportunity to run in the state track meet and actually win because she's the fastest woman in the field. And I, you know, I, I think you need to give some serious consideration to this. But as I said before, I think the women are, are going to be the ones that need to, need to carefully consider what side of this they're going to come down on and then take a stand about it. Because they're the ones whose careers are at stake. It will disappoint me terribly if they don't do so because of fear uh, of retribution from these pieces of shit, all right, from politicians and the media, because that's who's the problem here. You and I know the reality of the situation, but we're being lied to 
And you are being expected to agree with that lie. Don't do it. Don't agree with the lie. It is a lie. And you know it's a lie. Don't behave as though you don't. Because I know and you know that it's a lie. 